This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, and boy, do we have a lot of stuff going on in our lives right now. Whatever's on your heart or mind, you need only to call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner that comes up at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, before beginning our with our questions today, reminder that tonight I'm going to be teaching, um, we're going to end Abraham's life after all these weeks and months um, studying Abraham in Genesis. We're going to finish um, Genesis chapter 25 verses 1 through 8 tonight, sort of a farewell to the father of our faith. Uh, you can watch it at calvarysa.com. Um, tomorrow, that means uh, Thursday show, Paula will be live in studio with us here on the date day edition of the program as well. My producer just informed me that today is National Stress Awareness Day. Do we have anything to be stressed about? I don't know what your reaction was to what happened last night, what's continuing to go on, but this is just crazy. And the only thing I can tell you for sure is that Jesus is coming back soon. So let me remind you again, rather than get caught up in all of the silliness, keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the one who's put us here for a time such as this. And we need to be people who really stand out not getting caught up in the lying, the name-calling, the broken relationships. Just remember that we serve the King of Kings. We don't serve a president, whoever he turns out to be. Our nation is in need of constant prayer now. It's something that we ought to be praying for continually in these last days. But make no mistake, we are in the last days. Let me get to a question. Here's one from Leslie. She said, Pastor Ron, I know a woman who's had an abortion 
but is now aggressively opposed to abortion, isn't that the worst kind of hypocrisy? Leslie, that's the best kind. That's what happens when you meet Jesus. A woman who has been abused, a woman who made the choice to end the life of an unborn child, has come to grips with just how grave a sin that really is. She's repented of that sin. She's asked Jesus into her heart. And now she's rightly representing Jesus because we need to be opposed to abortion no matter what. Now, I don't know what you mean by aggressively opposed if she's just continuing to talk about it. But believe me, there's nobody better qualified to talk about an abortion than somebody who's been hurt by one. She understands what it's like to live with the guilt. She's the one who's had the enemy heap piles and piles of condemnation on her. And the person who says, I did that once, and I paid the price, I know now it was wrong, and I want to help others so they don't make the same mistake, that's a woman, Leslie, who is to be honored. I think sometimes we forget that we're all sinners. I think sometimes in the church, and Leslie, I don't know you, so this isn't something personal at all, but I think sometimes we in the church, we think because we haven't done something as bad as somebody else has done, that that gives us more of a righteous place to speak out. Believe me, I am an advocate for those who have ruined their lives with sin. Because I did that very thing. And I want everybody to know that God forgave me. He can forgive you. And this woman who uh, who in the past has had an abortion, she's had sort of a come-to-Jesus moment. And God bless her for it. You know, Leslie, one of the things that we need to understand, and I talk about this in a different context all the time on this program, but when you meet Jesus, if you really meet him, he changes you. You can't stay the way you are. I'd be very concerned if this woman who's now a professing Christian, and she says, well, you know, who am I to tell people not to have an abortion? I had one, and so I'm disqualified. I, I I wouldn't let her get away with that. It's our responsibility, having met Jesus, to represent him in every facet of our lives. And this is just one area where she can tell people, I've been there. We can comfort others. Second Corinthians 1, with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God, he is described in that passage as being the God of all comfort. And this is a woman I would want in my church, Leslie, to minister to others considering abortion or ministering to others in the same situation she's in who come in to... to try to find the Lord, and they, they've got this thing that the enemies told them was so bad that they could never be forgiven. And this is a woman who could put her arm around one of those women and say, God forgives. Let me share my story. So, no, it's not hypocrisy. It would be hypocrisy, Leslie, if it were the other way around. Thank you for the question. Here's a question from Walt. He said, Matthew 6, 14, and 15 implies that forgiving others is necessary for salvation. 
Is that correct? And does that make our salvation a salvation of works instead of grace? Um, Walt, let me read the passage of Scripture. These are red letters. This is Jesus who's speaking. He says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, Walt, there's no way to soften that. That's what Jesus said. It's in his own words. But I think we misunderstand. I don't think any of us on this side of heaven are perfect forgivers. I think we still hold grudges. I think we still want to get even with people. And, and that doesn't disqualify us from being saved. But in this passage, what Jesus is doing, now you'll remember, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is raising the stakes a whole bunch. You want to get to heaven, he's telling the religious leaders and other Jews around him, you've got to be this good. Not not just what the law says, but be, but behind the or the uh, with the spirit behind the law, you got to be this good. So what Jesus is saying here is forgiveness is not required to be saved. But and I can't stress this enough without making it sound awfully works legalistic oriented. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you yourself have been forgiven of your sins. Jesus, when he says this, is assuming that you're eager to forgive rather than requiring you to. It's not something you have to do. It's something that you get to do. And he is assuming it. The Apostle Paul mentions the same thing. We've got to forgive others because we have been forgiven by God. We forgive others because God will forgive them if they ask to be forgiven. How could we set ourselves up opposed to God and be unwilling to forgive somebody who God has forgiven? And I realize in our lack of perfection, we have all kinds of issues that we struggle with. But forgiveness shouldn't be one of them. And Jesus is simply saying that if you do not forgive men when they sin, then your identity probably isn't going to be found in Christ. It's almost like Jesus is saying, look, anybody who I've forgiven will be an eager forgiver. And Jesus, of course, in this passage and later told a parable about a man who'd been forgiven of a little tiny debt, or a huge debt, I mean, and then he wouldn't forgive somebody else when he was free of, of a little tiny debt by comparison. And the idea here is God assumes that we who have his heart will be as eager to forgive as he was eager to forgive us. One final thought on this, Walt. As a pastor, 25 years, I have seen more walks of faith shipwrecked by an unwillingness to forgive, holding grudges against parents, holding grudges against people who betrayed you, holding grudges um, for, for any number of reasons. And the enemy uses that to bind them. And pretty soon there's no way that the Spirit can work in them and through them. And the result is they get sour, they get bitter, they get angry. They're saved. At least the people that I'm thinking of over these years have been saved. 
but there's absolutely no fruit coming from their walk at all. And when I say no fruit, I mean no fruit at all. They're constantly grieving the Holy Spirit. They're quenching the Holy Spirit. And sadly, when they continue in that circumstance for any length of time, their heart gets so hard that nobody can even tell they're a believer. They say it, but nobody could see any fruit that comes from it. So I think the way to really remember this, Walt, is that forgiveness is assumed by God, by the writers of your Bible. Forgiveness is not required. I have been able to forgive anybody who's done anything to me. And I can honestly say, Walt, that there's not a single person on this earth that I am holding unforgiveness toward. And what that does is free me, not only to be used by Jesus, but to become more and more like Jesus. And when I got saved, let me tell you something. I had a man that I wanted dead. He lied to me. He cheated me. His lies, his cheating, combined with my ego, literally ruined my life. But it's what God used to bring me to him. And God forced me to deal with him. I had to go ask him for forgiveness. And as hard as that was, I mean, it's to this day the most difficult thing God's ever asked me to do. But when I did it, it felt like a billion pounds had been lifted from me. And from that moment forward, for 24 of these 25 years, actually it was before I was a pastor, the 28 of the 29 years I've been walking with the Lord, I haven't had unforgiveness toward anybody. And Walt, that's really the way that we live our lives. That's what it means to be free in Christ. I'm not bound. Jesus can use me for anything he wants. And of course, for me, that means when I got rid of that burden, God could then start the process of making me into Pastor Ron. And I love it. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here's an anonymous question. He says, my girlfriend and I have been having sex. I know it's wrong. Must I now marry her? to set things right with God. Um, anonymous, what you must do, if you want to set things right with God, you've got to repent. You've got to acknowledge that it's sin. Not, it's saying, I know it's wrong is not an acknowledgement or confession of sin. A, a confession of sin is, Jesus, I agree with you. What I'm doing to her, what I'm doing to you, what I'm doing to me. Paul says, when a man sins sexually, he, he sins against his own body. All other sins are committed outside the body. So you're pretty much ruining everything. And what you've got to do is you've got to repent of that. Jesus, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And then the way you set things right with God is to stop doing it now. That means you leave this girl alone. Just in the relationship. If God wants to put it back together uh, under different circumstances, uh, there's a lot of other factors. Is she a believer? Those kind of things. And, and neither of you are acting like believers. But marrying her, you don't compound one sin 
with another. Now, if you love her and she loves you and you're both believers and you're both ready to repent, then yeah, marriage is a good thing. But but just because you had sex with somebody doesn't mean that you got to marry her. You want to set things right with God, you've got to get right in your heart with God. You've got to stop doing what you're doing. You know, Anonymous, one of the things that just drives me crazy is is people, when they meet Jesus, I talked earlier about they change. Well, people think there are some things in their life that they don't have to change. And over the years, I can't tell you how many people have walked an aisle to, to ask Jesus into their heart. And yet when we told them, well, now you've got to stop having sex with this girl or stop having sex with this guy, you've got to leave. Well, I can't do that. I mean, how are we going to afford it? It doesn't matter. I've told people, you sleep in your car, you sleep in your truck, if that's what you've got to do to get right with God. You made this mess. Only you can get out of it. But to marry her just because you've had sex, well, that doesn't fix anything. It doesn't fix anything at all. Thank you for the question. Let's go to our first phone call today. We've got Ruben, our friend from Seguin. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today? Ruben, I'm doing really well. It is so good to hear your voice. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll be short because I know I'm a long, I'm long-winded um, <laughs> at times, <laughs> and I forgive me for that. But I just like to talk. But could you clarify for me once and for all? Um, everyone uses this scripture as prosperity. Uh, the one that says, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things." shall be added unto you. It doesn't specify what all these things are. And of course, all these, all the preachers, even mine, says these things are money, their houses, their cars, they're the desires of your heart. Could you specify what that is? And I'll listen to you on the, on the phone because the app went out again. Okay, thank you, Ruben. I appreciate it very, very much. You know, to, the, the Bible interprets itself. Um, remember what, what Jesus is speaking about here. He's speaking, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking, going all the way back to verse 28. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is still in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. So Reuben, in context, the all these things are the things that we're worrying about. Even before verse 20 talks about um, adding an hour to your life, just the things that, that, that cause us to worry, cause us to, to, to walk by sight rather than by faith. And um, the truth is that, that Jesus is saying, no, don't worry about all those things. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about clothing. Don't worry about adding to your height or adding any time to your life. Uh, don't worry. And then when you get to verse 32 in chapter 6, um, the all these things, the pagans, the unbelievers run after all these things. And then he says in the verse you're asking about, verse 33, but seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things, there it is again, will be given to you as well. So it's the things that we worry about, the things that keep us at a distance from the Lord. And there is not even a hint 
not even a hint of prosperity in this. And, um, you know, Reuben, pastors who are teaching that are blaspheming God. And, and you know, whether it's you or anybody else who's trying to communicate this horrible prosperity gospel, um, the thing we need to do is run away from them. Don't give them an audience. And they're preying on gullible people who don't know their Bibles, people who are appealing to their own carnality, trying to get them to think in terms of the things of this world instead of the things of God. So the all these things are the things that Jesus was talking about. And, and in a general sense, it could be all the things that we put before God, all the things that we are pursuing. Uh, it's like when Paul said he's learned the secret of being content in every circumstance. If you're always looking for money, there's no way that you're ever going to be content. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and these men and women, sadly, are peddling the root of all kinds of evil. So it's not a uh, prosperity gospel, prosperity message at all. So the, all these things are the things that lead to contentment, the things that lead to joy. Thank you, Reuben. Good to hear from you again. appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to Jimmy on line one from San Antonio. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, uh, my mom. My, my my mom's a landscaper. Um, he was trying. You know, we were talking in the, about. And he's a Jehovah Witness, and he says, "I said, um, so that means that if I served in the government, right in the Navy, and because I, I served my government, I chose not to serve. Uh, and, and you say I didn't chose to serve God. That means that uh, that I, I can't go to heaven." And he goes, no, but you got out. And I said, well, no, I um, I, I, I serve, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm saved. And he goes, well, let me share this scripture with you. And I don't really, really understand it, but he shared this with me. He said, it's in Hosea 2, 22 and 23. I will respond to the skies and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain and the new wine and oil and will respond to Jerusalem. And I will plant her for myself in the land, and I will show my love to the one I call. Not my loved ones, I will say those call. Not my people, you are my people, and they will say you are my God. Hmm. Now, that's kind of like confusing to me, I don't know, but <laughs> I, I'm trying to witness to them and say, no, no, I, I know I am saved by the blood of Jesus. Well, no, yeah. because you served, your, you served the government. I said, well, then you yeah. then that means you get paid money either because you got you get you shouldn't got your stimulus check either because that was that was from the government. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, Jimmy, the, the the Jehovah's Witnesses are so messed up. Their problem, and to to take an out of context Old Testament passage of scripture, God's talking about His people. These are actually really nice promises He's making to them uh, for the future, but but but. Their problem, of course, is that their Jesus is not God. Their Jesus is a created being. In fact, their Jesus, as you know, is the Archangel Michael. Um, and and um, their, their doctrine is so messed up, so bad, that um, they, they don't have a God who can save. And that's why they're so sour. That's why they're, they work really hard knocking on doors and they... they um, Faithful to the watchtower, 
with their little bits of money and with their devotion. But the truth of the matter is their problem is they're Jesus. They use the right name, but they have a completely different being involved. And instead of Jesus being creator God, he is Jesus who is really just Michael, the archangel. Uh, and, and that's their problem. So Jimmy, it, witnessing to them um, has very little value. Talk to them about Jesus. Talk to them about the joy that you have because it's something they can't possibly begin to understand. But um, the, the heart and the mind that is closed, the heart and the mind that's already made up uh, is not a heart and a mind that, um, that, that the Holy Spirit is going to be able to, um, to convince. So just can't do that. Thank you, Jimmy. Appreciate it very, very much. Hey, we got one minute. Zacharias, Zechariah, we've got him on line two. We're going to hold him over uh, the break. So if you can be patient for two minutes, Zechariah, I don't want to try to get your question or comment um, taken care of in, in less than a minute. Quick reminder, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, we have uh, Genesis chapter 25. We're going to close out the life of our father, Abraham, uh, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, calvarysa.com. You can watch it live, or we have plenty of room on Wednesday nights. Uh, You can join us here live. Um, We'd love to have you. You've been listening to the first half hour of The Word to Stand Up for Life, 340-9585. Or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Zachariah, hold on. We'll be right with you in two minutes. Don't have time to call into the Word to Stand On for Life? No problem. If you've got questions, you can email them to Pastor Ron at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to our program uh let's go to line two and talk with zachariah zachariah thank you for being patient you are on the air all right how you doing today sir i'm doing well thank you all right, so my question, man, I have been, you know, uh, I've been raised in, you know, religion for a long time. And, uh, you know, God speaks to me in my dreams. And I just, you know, it's something I can't escape at this point. And he's been coming to me more into these days uh, that we are, you know, we're in now. Um, but I've, I've faced a battle with uh, homosexuality, and I've never really got a clear answer on, you know, whether it's right or wrong. You know, I talk to God, you know, something. You know, I've been prayed on, and I feel like I stray away when I'm more into religion. And then, you know, when I you know, want to find love or something like that, you know, it's, it's something that's always there is going to be with me. Um, I, and I just want to kind of know, is that a life that I can live and still be accepted by God? I know it's a touchy subject, but um, yeah. I feel like when I'm living this life, I can't, I can't really uh, get in sync with God like I want to because I feel like it's a, a part that, made me ashamed of in a sense yeah Zechariah let me let me first say God God doesn't want you to live a life of shame 
So, so that's not the, not the the point at all. And God is trying to get to you. That's that's a certainty. But to come to Him, you have to come to Him on His terms. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Homosexuality is a sin. Um, Galatians chapter 5, Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, all New Testament passages of Scripture which make it absolutely clear that that actively pursuing homosexual relationships is sinful. It is um, um, uh, going after strange flesh. It's called a perversion, uh, an abomination to God. It just shows you God's heart toward it. Now, it's not that he has any of those things towards you. He loves you. And the reason he's trying to reach out to you in your dreams is he's calling you to himself. And as hard as it is, and believe me, Zechariah, you are going to have a struggle. Same-sex attraction is real. We live in a fallen world. But this is one of the things where you've got to make a choice. Do I want to satisfy my flesh or do I want to be with God? And it's, it's the, the choice is that dramatic. And um, Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 6 says that people who live like this, who practice a lifestyle of homosexuality, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And there's no way to soften that. So homosexuality is wrong. God says it's wrong. God is the only one who gets to make the rules. And even as I say that, I want you to know how patient God has been with you, how much he loves you, and what a wonderful plan he has for your life. But that plan, Zechariah, may not include sexuality at all. The Apostle Paul was one who said that he's been given the gift of celibacy, and he says he wishes that we were all as he was in that sense so that we could be completely devoted to the Lord. So while there would be one part of your life that you couldn't um, enjoy, the, the sexuality part, God would fill your life with so much more and clearly, you've got the Holy Spirit working on your conscience here. And you know you're separated from God. So the decision that you have to make is, do I want God more than I want to satisfy um, my, my sexuality? And, you know, it's not easy. It's hard, especially because we live in a world uh, where there are so many people who are trying to, to affirm and approve um, these uh, unorthodox lifestyles. Um, as a believer, Zechariah, I'm not trying to communicate to you that that you're deficient or that you're broken. You're just different. God specializes in different people. And his arms are open wide to you. And here's what he's saying. And this is the point of the dreams. And I don't even have to know what the content of the dreams is. But God is saying, come unto me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is the place where you're going to find rest. And the things that you sacrifice for him, and, and when, when we walk separate from our sexuality, it's an important part of who we are, that is a huge sacrifice. But when we make that sacrifice, God is so pleased, he replaces that with more of him, and we always end up, end up getting the better end of that bargain. So, Zechariah, it's going to be really hard, but the Bible cannot be any more clear. It is a sinful lifestyle, and that lifestyle will separate you from God. And unless you repent and change, it will separate you from eternity in heaven. 
That's how important, how urgent it is. And that you know that God has been speaking out to you. Let me also say one other thing. That that religion, and you used the word a couple of times, so that's why I'm referencing it. Religion won't save. Religion won't satisfy. Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ, will. So, Zachariah, what I'm asking you to do is, when you get off this phone call, do you talk to God, take a walk with him, go in a room and pray, and he'll confirm to your heart that he loves you, that he has a plan for you, but he gets to make the rules. We have to come to him on his terms. But it is wrong. The fact that you're struggling with it, the fact that you know it's wrong, just further validates that God is speaking to your heart. But you've got to repent. That means you've got to stop sinning. And it's not just the homosexuality part. There's all kinds of things that we've got to stop doing. And the only way we can do it, the only power that we have to, to do it, is to meet Jesus, ask him to forgive us of, his, of our sins, give our lives to him, in the sense that says, you're now in charge, Jesus. I'm no longer in charge. I have decided to obey you. I've decided to follow you. And God will give you the person of the Holy Spirit, and your life will change. It might be very emotional at first, but the enemy is going to continue to try to tempt you. Jesus will always be there with you. Zachariah, I'm going to add your name to my prayer list. Are you still on the line, Zachariah? Yes, sir, I'm here. Okay. Any questions for me? I don't know. It's just, you know, I haven't been able to find a lot of peace. Uh, I feel like, you know, um, my soul has been at a, a crossroads. Um, you know, it's a lifestyle that I have indulged in, um, but I can't find peace. Uh, and it's like the, the more I get into the lifestyle, the more that God tries to fight my mind and my brain um, mm-hmm. on this situation. And Zechariah, that's just because he loves you. And he's trying to demonstrate just how much he loves you. And he wants you to have the peace that you've been looking for but haven't found. And a human relationship, a sexual relationship, won't do it. And just so you know, Zechariah, this is the first time that you've called the program that I'm aware of. Uh, I want you to understand, I would be saying exactly the same thing if you called me in today and said that you were involved in a heterosexual relationship where you were engaged in sexual immorality. I would say exactly the same thing to you. Exactly the same thing. Sex is a gift from God. We honor God by using it on His terms. And His terms are only between a male and a female. And only when that male and female are married, uh, legally married, so, uh, Zechariah, I'm going to be praying for you. I hope to hear from you. And if you want to um, call us and talk to us a little bit more, if you've got some questions, feel free anytime, and we will be available for you, okay? All righty. Thank you so much. I appreciate your help. My pleasure, Zechariah. We wish you pre- peace. And like I said, you will now be for uh, entrenched on my prayer list. 340 uh, there's a question from Mark. He said, I often deal with doubts about my faith. Is it that my faith is weak, or is it a spiritual attack? How can I stop having doubt? You know, Mark, it could be both of those things. It could be uh, that your faith is weak at times. Um, it could be, almost certainly is true, that you're under spiritual attack. Um 
So I think you got to accept that that's just a part of the Christian walk. Now, how can you stop having doubt? You've got to exercise faith in God's Word. Now, I don't know what kind of doubt you're having, but, but when I got saved for years, Mark, and I was very active in sharing my faith, the, the doubt that I had was never about my own salvation. I've never had a moment's doubt about that. But the doubt I had was, well, how do you know it's true? What if it's not true? You're telling other people, what if it isn't true? And that was the enemy. And and he was, it felt like a ping pong ball being beaten across the table. And and I finally just had to throw my arms up and said, Jesus, I know it's true. And I'm not going to listen to these lies anymore. And then I identified, every time those doubts would come in, I identified the source. That's the devil. Lord, I choose to believe you. And Mark, that's what you've got to do. He's going to keep pushing that doubt button as long as it works. And evidently it's working. So increase your faith. The way you do that is by spending more time in God's Word. But even more important than that, spending more time with Jesus, talking to Him all day, every day. And then when the enemy, those lies come in, those doubts come in, that's when you know that his job is to try to kill you, to destroy, to steal. And you can just decide, I'm not going to let you have your way, lying to me any longer. And for me, it was a simple thing. I choose to believe Jesus. Now, I had to do it many, many times because the devil keeps pushing the doubt button. But what we need to remember always is that by trusting God, we're not throwing our brain away by trusting God, then we're equipping ourselves to be able to deal with doubt. So identify the spiritual element, but it's also a case of maybe your faith is weak sometimes, so just let your faith grow. Thanks, Mark. Well, one other thing I just thought of, you know, Mark, when when people ask me how can I increase my faith, uh, the answer is always to just trust God a little bit longer the next time. Just trust him. Give him a chance to move in and through your life, and pretty soon he'll show himself so trustworthy that you will realize that it really is foolish not to trust the Lord. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585, here is an anonymous question. Um, Why is it that churches assume that only men struggle with pornography? I'm a young woman who struggles. God bless you for sharing that. And I think probably we we don't assume that only men struggle with pornography. It's just that, um, generally speaking, it is um, very often men, most often men, who are struggling with pornography or who are willing to talk about it. But every time I teach about sexual purity as we go through the Bible— Uh, I'm aware of and usually include women um, in the the teaching, in the application of that teaching as well. So um, if you're a young woman who struggles, find another woman in your church, a mature woman that you trust, somebody who's godly, somebody you've, you've watched their life, and ask them, can you talk? Can you talk to me? I just need some help. And you're going to find that people are going to receive you wonderfully. I think sometimes we figure like, if anybody ever finds out what I'm doing, everybody will hate me or they'll judge me. 
Um, everybody's got something going on in their lives, Anonymous. So find somebody. And I can promise you this, at your church, wherever that is, your pastor knows somebody who can help you with it. I could send you here at our church, just off the top of my head, three women's name comes rushing to mind right away because they've dealt with this and triumphed over it. But, but, but for two of the three, it was a really difficult struggle. They could help you. So God bless you for being honest enough to say that you're struggling with it. But the other side of this is that you've got to decide, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm just not going to do it. And I know how difficult it is. There is a not only a sexual component, but a spiritual component. The enemy, we're giving him a, a deeper inroad into our lives when we mess with, with sexual immorality. It actually changes the way we think. And so we have to retrain our brains. But until we make the decision that I don't want to disappoint you anymore, Jesus, I love you more than I love engaging in this sin. And so I'm going to serve you. I'm going to follow you. Anonymous, it's the only way to do it. Go to your pastor. They need, they'll know how to help you. They'll know how to help you. Thank you very much. Let's go to Nancy on line one. Nancy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Uh, thanks for Hi, taking Nancy. my call. And mm-hmm. I was just listening to uh, Zachariah, and uh, I just wanted to encourage him. Um, as uh, we all, you know, if if we're children of God, um, doesn't make us necessarily sinless. We're still going to offend him in cases, but if we are truly a child of God, then we repent. And something I want to uh, encourage him about is um, something we say at my church is, uh, this is God's holy word. I will hide his word in my heart that I might not sin against mm-hmm. him. And uh, for many years, I did uh, just do that. And, and I had to uh, thankfully come to the conclusion that knowing his word is by diving in, getting into the Word, not just reading it, but getting into it, studying it. And then you know His Word, and that is what's going to keep you on the straight and narrow, because the Holy Spirit's going to call you back into accordance with His Word when you try to walk in the flesh, convicted. And for Him to be feeling those convictions that, like you said, you know, it's it's against God's Word that. So, you know, you you need to get into his word and and just pray fervently that he will open uh, your eyes to to that, to his truth, and then just walk in his truth. And it doesn't mean that it's necessarily always going to be an easy path, but, you know, Jesus will carry our burdens for us, and we have to give it to him daily. We have to lay it at his feet, you know. So I just want to encourage him to get into the Word and um, know what it says and and pray for God to just reveal truth to him. Thank you, Nancy. And let him uh, walk on on that path instead of the fleshly path that we know leads to death. Nancy, thank you, and God bless you. Whenever somebody who's been through that struggle, 
um, truly understands and empathizes with with others, um, then there's a credibility that that other people just don't have. So Zachariah Nancy is encouraging you with her own story. The only thing I will uh, correct a little bit, not even correct, it's just add to, Nancy said, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's never going to be easy. It's never going to be easy. We've got people in our church right now who every day have to fight, and the enemy is doing anything and everything he can, but because they know God's Word and because they've been taught to be with Jesus, um, they have the power that raised Christ from the dead living in them, and that's the power to say no. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says that, that um, grace not only saves, but grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live upright and pure lives before God. So, Nancy, God bless you for that. And, and uh, I know you'll be praying for Zachariah as well. Let's go to Angie holding on line two. Angie, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor. I know you only have a few minutes. Um, yeah, I have a theory I'd like to run it by you, um, and I'm not the only one who has it, but, uh, um, and there's no criticism here whatsoever, but, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of years, we've heard, you know, about our sin nature, and, and some go so far as to say we're depraved and this and that, and that is uh, to consider that we are reading God's image and likeness almost seems like it's um, heretical, you know. But here's the thing. Leaders who have, want an excuse to persecute the people of this world just have to point to that theory and say, look, it's right here. They're, these are depraved creatures, and they need to be controlled. So I'm, I'm going to run that by you. Because there's people who believe the end justifies the means because we are these horrible, horrible creatures. Thank you. I'd love to hear your comments. Well, Angie, I don't, I'm not really sure what you were trying to get at. Let me say this. We are not horrible, horrible creatures. Our flesh is depraved. That's just plain and simple. But that's not who we are. The Apostle Paul said... When I sin, I find this law at work. It's not me who sins, but sin living in me. And the Bible makes a clear distinction between the depravity of our flesh and the beauty, the magnificence of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And I think, Angie, you've lost sort of a perspective about the old and the new. If anyone is in Christ, he or she's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. But that doesn't mean my flesh is any better. And the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 7, he talks about his own experience, and he ends up saying, O wretched man that I am, who can rescue me from this body of death? Now, the rescuer is Jesus, of course. He says that in the next verse, chapter 7, verse 25. But, but, but the fact that we are depraved in our carnality, in our flesh, doesn't diminish that we're the pearl of great price. We're the treasure buried in a field. And, and Jesus loves us and he thinks about us. And, and I, you know, I'm not sure whether you were getting to the, well, you know, we just have to think more of ourselves or, 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 or what. You didn't make that clear. But what we've got to learn to do is hate our flesh and love the Spirit in us when the Spirit is ruling and reigning. 
And then it's a love of Christ that compels us and, I would add, propels us to holy living. So the fact that we can't be perfect in this body doesn't mean we should stop trying. And we do it not because we have to, but because we get to. We get to be with Jesus. And Angie, the reason that I tell people all the time, just be with Jesus, and people think that's just too simplistic. It's not simplistic at all. When I'm with Jesus, I'm not going to do bad things. When I'm with Jesus, I'm not going to be focused on how wicked, how depraved my flesh is. But let me tell you something that you know is true, Angie, and I know is true. That every time I give in to my flesh, I am aware of how depraved I am. That's my flesh. Again, that's not me. That's sin living in me. But I've got to battle that sin, and it's a battle that we have every single day. Now, that's the experience of the born-again believer. And so every day, it's a matter of choosing to deny self and live for Christ. When you live for Christ, you have no problem with understanding how precious you are, how loved by God you are. You have no problem with any of that. But if your point is that we need to start thinking more highly of ourselves, then we, you don't understand either. So here's what I tell my church all the time. Remember who you are in Christ and live that. On Friday night, I'm going to be teaching in Ephesians, closing out or getting ready, trying to close chapter 4. And, um, you know, Paul says, you know, put off the old nature. It's, it's, it's on us, it's in us, but we're to put it off. And then we're to put on. It's, it's like changing clothes. You know, you wouldn't go to a formal event in dirty old clothes. No, you go home, you take a shower, you get dressed up, and you go to this nice formal event. And everybody comment about how good you look. But if you decided, well, I want to wear my old clothes, well, then people would look at you like something was wrong. Well, the Christian who's living a life giving in to sin, giving in to flesh. Well, that's exactly the opposite of what God tells us to do. So Angie, again, I'm not sure, and I apologize if, if I just didn't really understand it, but, but um, until we know how depraved our flesh is, in my flesh is no good thing, Paul writes to the church at Rome. For all of sin and continually, continue to sin continually in the present tense in the Greek. And when we do that, we realize just how depraved we are. And there is no redeeming value in our flesh, none whatsoever. So the way to do it is to crucify the flesh. That's Jesus' remedy, as it is the Apostle Paul's. Hey, thanks for the program. Appreciate the calls. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the date day edition of The Word to Stand Up for Life. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. 
The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.